0: You have chosen me
1: Uh, welcome uh, this morning to Faith Bible Church. My name is Seth Brown. I'm the pastor of Adult Connections here at the church. And on stage with me this morning is my fr- good friend Connie. Introduce yourself, Connie.
2: Hi, I'm Connie Goodson. and I'm the children's director here. And we're so glad to see you and hope you've had a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend. If you're joining us online, we are so glad to have you join us today.
1: It's a special day at Faith Bible Church. Not only will we be uh, having our parent-child dedications, which is a wonderful time, Uh, to see these parents dedicate their children to the Lord, and it gives us an opportunity to pray for these parents. Uh, We also, with Christmas coming up, Connie and I have some announcements that we would like to make together. So, Connie, lead us off.
2: All right. Well, we're kicking off our Christmas in Faith Kids. And so today we have available um, our annual sticky Christmas packets for each child. That is right. Each child in your family gets one of these, and it's out there by grade and age and in this is all sorts of devotionals and activities in fact the first thing that you get to do is put together this names of jesus Mm. chain and you can and you Mm. can hang it up by our cookie cutter the reason we have sticky christmas is because the name of jesus should stick to you always and so we hope that our kids will learn that christmas is all about jesus and it shouldn't last and shouldn't stick to them just one time a year but all through the year. And so with your help, parents, you can have easy devotional time. It's not something you have to do every day. You can. But there's also things for them to do by themselves and other activities. And we have it for the little bittiest all the way up to fifth grade. Awesome.
1: And oh, one more thing. One more thing. Okay. You're not done. I forgot. Okay. (laughs) If
2: you have not joined us back in the building for church, but would like to come by, we're doing a drive-through to pick up your packet tomorrow evening, Monday night from 4 to 6 on the children's door. Now I'm done. Are you sure? you done? Yeah, <laughs> okay. you, look, you look cute with yeah. your chain well, on. Well, it
1: goes, it goes with my sweater vest for sure. <laughs>
2: yes.
1: uh, men, I have an announcement for you. Uh, this coming Saturday is our next Man Up men's event. Uh, men's breakfast in the uh, chapel at 8:30 in the morning. We're gonna have a special guest with us, Pastor Philip deCourcy from Kindred Community Church in California. Will be here Saturday, and then we'll uh, then will again speak to us on Sunday morning uh, for worship. And so, guys, you're gonna want to be there for that. We do need you to to, uh, to fill out the form online to let you, let us know you're coming, because we need to figure out how much food to give to get and prepare for 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 Saturday morning. So we'd love for again for you to be there at 8:30 on Saturday morning in the chapel. Very good you're you
2: are here today you <laughs> uh you're so we're so grateful that you're here today and uh if you're visiting with us please come out to the welcome desk so that we can greet you properly and if you're joining us again online we're so glad that you're here pray you have a blessed day
1: yeah let me pray for us as we begin our service and as we worship the lord through our song father we thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to gather this morning as your people we thank you for this new day we thank you for your new mercies we thank you for uh god just the holy spirit Uh, Residing within us, Father, and I pray that He would uh, help us to focus our hearts right now and our minds upon You. I pray that Your Spirit would guide us into Your presence with joy and with thanksgiving. We commit ourselves to You today. We commit this time to You. We commit these parents and their children to You this morning. We ask, God, that You would work in the lives of these families and draw them closer to You. We pray that You draw close to us in this time, God, that You would make us more like Christ as we worship Your holy name. We love You. We thank You that You loved us first and sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And we look to him right now. We look to your grace. And we ask all these things in the name of Christ. Amen.
3: Amen. Would you stand with us and sing? Praise to the Lord, the Almighty.
4: and to worship Him with our voices. Listen to what Philippians 2 tells us today. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death today to exalt the one who God has highly exalted and seated at his right hand given the name that is above all other names so let's sing this and lift him high
0: we exalt thee we exalt
4: that is above every other name, the name that is highly exalted. God, our prayer is that you would be highly exalted in us today, that each one of us would put you in first place in all things. God, we thank you for the joy of getting to worship you together with faithful hearts today. We thank you for all that we get to celebrate as a church family. We ask you to bless our time together. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
5: Amen. Boy, great singing today. Thank you all. Thank you, Joel, and all of our players and singers for leading us today and that great singing as we kind of launch a little bit into our uh, Advent season here as uh, Christmas is upon us. Uh, this is uh, one of my favorite times of year. It's one of my uh, favorite services of the year. Uh, it's uh, Baby Dedication uh, Sunday. We do it on Mother's Day now, and uh, we do it here sometime around the Thanksgiving season as well. And it's very appropriate because certainly we are uh, thankful uh, to have these families in our church and these young children. And I know these children are a great blessing to them. We have 10 children today being dedicated to the Lord. So if those uh, in this service are going to come forward, I think we have five children in this service. If you'll go ahead and come on up here the couple and take your place um, on the stage here as we uh, will dedicate your children to the Lord here in just a moment. Uh, The Bible tells us, obviously, that children are a gift from God. Uh, Psalm 127, verse 3, says that sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children are a reward from Him. And so we recognize, first and foremost, that these uh, little ones here today belong to God. And uh, they've been uh, given to these families, and they have the awesome responsibility of caring for this gift that God has given to them. Uh, this dedication this morning really consists of two simple things. Um, it's parent dedication, as these parents will uh, dedicate themselves uh, to bring up their children and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And then baby dedication, or child dedication, as these parents dedicate their children to the Lord and accept God's sovereign purposes um, in the life of their child. Now, there is biblical support for what we're doing here this morning. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 3, You remember that Hannah brought Samuel to the priest Eli, and and he blessed him, and it says that Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fail. I mean, Luke 2.22, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus, uh, the baby Jesus, to the temple in order to present him to the Lord. And in Mark chapter 10 and verse 16, Jesus took little children in his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands upon them. So in the same way, parents this morning are bringing their children um, here first to present themselves to the Lord and then to present their children before the Lord as well. Um, I want to remind each of you that it's your duty to see that your child is taught as soon as he or she is able um, of their their need for Jesus Christ as their Savior. Uh, There's no form or ceremony uh, that will save your child's soul, but you're to bring your children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. By precept and example, uh, you're to lead your child into the love of Christ and see that they're trained uh, to know Christ as their Savior and to give regular attendance uh, to public worship and the teaching of the Word of God. That's going to be very pivotal um, in their lives. So let me ask each of you on your part as parents, do you confess your own faith as Christ as your Savior? Do you dedicate yourselves as parents by God's grace to bring up your child in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord? and recognition of God's gift to you of this child, do you now present your child to the Lord? Amen. Well, let's uh, present these children to the Lord then. Um, first is uh, Brian and Annie Crass. What name have you given to your child? Daniel. Daniel. By the way, I checked with all the families ahead of time that I could hold their babies up here with no mass, and they're all good with that, so I didn't want anybody to wonder about that. Well, Dan, your parents have brought you here today in obedience to the Lord to uh, present you to Him. And as your pastor, it's a great honor today uh, to dedicate you to the Lord in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And Cody and Emily DeMoss. And Cody, what name have you given to your child? Vernon White. Vernon? Vernon Wyatt. Vernon Wyatt. Vernon Wyatt. Um, I also just want to mention I've known uh, Emily's mother since I was a little child, and her her mother as well, her grandmother as well, um, was in the church I grew up in. Oh, they're here today, and it's a great blessing to to dedicate uh, Vernon Wyatt to the Lord today. Your parents have brought you here in obedience to the Lord, and as your pastor, it is a great joy. It's a great honor to dedicate you to the Lord in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, and this is Nick and Anna Yelvington. I know they have some, some grandparents here today. that are excited as well about this. So what name have you given to your first child? I guess it's not your first child. It's, they're twins. Silas. <laughs> Silas. This is Silas Carter. Silas, your parents bring you here today in obedience to the Lord to present you to him. And as your pastor, it's a great honor today to dedicate you to the Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And what name have you given to your other child? Fisher Robert. Fisher Robert. This is Fisher Robert. Fisher Robert, your parents have brought you here today in obedience to God to present you to him. And as your pastor, it is a great honor today and a joy to dedicate you to the Lord in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. Well, let's uh, let's pray together. And I want to encourage all of you to pray silently with me as well. Let's pray for these families. Uh, Let's pray for these uh, precious little children and uh, pray for their grandparents as well, just their their whole family. Let's let's commit them to the Lord. Well, Father, we come before you now and we know that um, first and foremost, each of these little ones belong to you. Um, You've created them, you've given them life. And uh, Father, we just uh, think today of the value of one life, the value of one soul, uh, that Jesus came and and gave himself on the cross uh, for each one of these little ones and for all of us as well. So, Father, we pray above everything else that each one of these little children, as they become old enough to understand the truth of the gospel, will put their faith and their hope in Jesus Christ, that you'll draw them uh, to yourself, that they'll come to know the one whom to know is life eternal. Father, I thank you for these parents, each one of them up here. I thank you for their commitment to you. Thank you for bringing them to this church, Lord. It's a great blessing to have them here. We thank you for Connie as she shepherds our children's ministry, that they'll have a great impact, that ministry will, in the lives of these families and of these children. Lord, be with these parents. Give them strength and give them hope in these days and give them courage and wisdom to bring these little ones up to know you. And I pray for their marriages. That you'd make their marriages strong and vibrant so that these little ones can grow up and, and see an example of a, a godly marriage and a, represents the relationship of Christ and the church. Father, I thank you for the grandparents who are here today and for the role that they play and the lives of these families, and just pray your blessing upon them. So, Father, these little ones and their families, now we commit them to you and to your grace. Father, may your wonderful, gracious hand of blessing rest upon each one of them. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you. Well, welcome to Faith Bible Church here this morning. If you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here. And I want to kind of give all of us here a little bit of a preview of what's coming the next few weeks in the pulpit here at the church. Uh, We're taking a break from Daniel. We've been in a study of the book of Daniel, and uh, we left off in kind of the middle of chapter 8. We're going to start back up in Daniel chapter 8, beginning of next year. So hopefully that'll give you all something to look forward to. Hopefully you'll look forward to that. Um, Next, The reason I'm leaving that behind is uh, we've got a guest speaker next week and then we're in the Christmas season, so we'll pick up Daniel at the beginning of the year. But next week, Philip DeCourcy will be here. Uh, Many of you know Philip. Um, He's been here, spoken to our church many times, really as far as as pastors go. He's my best friend other than our, our pastors here in this church. Um, in ministry. He's been a great blessing in my life. He's my favorite preacher to listen to. So he'll be here next Sunday. He'll be here Saturday for our Man Up Breakfast at 8.30 down in the chapel. So you men want to come and join us for that or or, or pick that up online. And uh, then he'll be speaking to us on Sunday morning. So I'm looking forward to that. It'll be a great blessing for all of us. Then uh, the next week after that, December 13th, we're going to begin our Advent series, uh, very appropriately named this year, A Weary World Rejoices and it will bring some messages related to the coming of Jesus into the world. Uh, but this morning, I want to bring a special message I've been wanting to bring for a while, and I've titled this message, uh, Putting Jesus in His Place. And uh, we're not going to be looking at just one text this morning as we often do. We're going to look at several passages, but this is a great message to set the table for this Christmas season as we focus on the person of Jesus Christ. Now, again, we'll look at several passages, but we'll look at a few in Hebrew. So let me read... Um, Hebrews uh, 1, 1 to 3, and then Hebrews 1, 6, and then verse 8, and then we'll look at verses 10 uh, to 13. I'll read each of these verses, beginning in Hebrews 1, 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, and these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he had appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, or literally he made the ages And he's the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power when he had made purification of sins he sat down in the right hand of the majesty on high and then down in verse 6 and when he brings the firstborn into the world by the way firstborn there doesn't mean jesus was the first one to be born it's a title it's a title means he's the heir when he brings the air into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. And then down in verse 8, but of the Son, he says, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. And then drop down to verse 10. Thou, Lord, in the beginning, didst lay the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. They will perish, but thou remainest. They will all become old as a garment, and as a mantle thou wilt roll them up. As a garment, you'll be, they will be changed but thou art the same and thy years will not come to an end. To which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet? Well, so reads God's inspired inerrant word. And may he write that eternal word on our hearts this morning. Well, I want to share with you this morning kind of what spurred my desire to to address the topic here this morning that we're looking at really of the deity of Christ. There was a survey a few months ago by Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research, and it's called the State of Theology Survey. And so, it's basically a measure of kind of where things stand in the arena of theological belief and understanding. And the survey revealed some shocking results, especially about the person of Jesus. Among other things, the survey found this. Now, listen to this. 30% of self-identified evangelicals believe that Jesus was merely a great teacher. That's one out of three people who identify, self-identify as an evangelical Christian, believe that Jesus was only a great teacher. He wasn't divine. Now, it gets even worse Fifty-five percent of evangelicals, over half, agree with the statement that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. So they believe that Jesus is not God, but He was the first being and the greatest being who was created by God. Now, that survey floored me. I have to be honest. Even in these times in which we live, it floored me. And I had to read it several times to make sure I'd read it right. And ever since I've read that, I've wanted to speak to our church about the significance and the support for the full deity of Jesus Christ. I don't want there to be any doubt about what, uh, Faith Bible Church, about who we believe Jesus is. Um, I don't want our our children and young people uh, to, to have any doubt as they grow up in this church who Jesus is. I want them to know and to understand and to fully embrace the deity of Jesus Christ. I mean, I I think about these little ones I just held in my arms here this morning for this baby dedication, 10 of them. And I've thought about this this week, the most important truth that will ever pass through their minds will be the reality of the living God and the deity of Jesus Christ. Those are the most important words they will ever hear in their entire life, are the words of who God is and the words about the truth of the person and the work of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ became one of us became a man, yet He remained fully divine. That Jesus is God in human flesh, and He suffered and died on the cross for our sins. Now, sadly, out there today, there's a lot of confusion, even about the most basic fundamental truths of the faith. And sadly and tragically, Jesus is no exception to that. He's putty in the hands of people as they kind of try to fashion a Jesus according to their own whims and wishes. Uh, Jesus is being tweaked and twisted to serve a host of agendas out there. Uh, many people today have what we might call a customized Christ. It's kind of a Christ they've made in their own mind. Um, others call this a cafeteria Christ. Kind of take a, a little bit of what you want and build a Jesus who suits your needs. One man I read referred to what we see out there as people believe in a morphing Messiah. Messiah. You just kind of can morph Jesus into who you want Him to be. There's a book. I'm going to put a picture of this book up there on the screen in just a moment. But in that book, the two authors who wrote it say this. Interpretations of Jesus are fraught with bias. He's a powerful figure whom people want on their side. And they're willing to recreate Him in their image to enlist His support. Animal rights activists can imagine a vegetarian Jesus. New Agers make him an example of finding God within. Radical feminists strip him of divinity so that Christianity doesn't appear sexist. Frankly, it's hard to escape the feeling that our culture has taken Jesus' question, who do you say that I am, and changed it to who do you want me to be? That's what we see out there in our broader culture today. And it's so bad, I think, that many are even indifferent and don't really believe it even matters who Jesus is. Remember near the end of that movie, The Da Vinci Code, uh, Robert Langdon, who was played by Tom Hanks, uh, said this about Jesus, human or divine, divine or human, what difference does it make? Maybe human is divine. So, So there you have it. Nobody can really know what is right or wrong about Jesus, and really in the end they would say it really doesn't even make a difference. Now, it's very fashionable today, especially in scholarly circles and more liberal circles, to see the Jesus of the New Testament as largely the creation of the early church. So that people came along, the writers of the New Testament, and they made Jesus into what He is, but that's not really the historical Jesus. That He he kind of evolved over the centuries. They will say that Jesus never claimed deity for himself or never demonstrated deity, that rather that was ascribed to him by the writers of the New Testament. Here's what some will say, that they turned a Jewish prophet into a Gentile God. That they did this, people will say, to gain power and to gain influence. Now, there are a lot of arguments against the idea that the New Testament writers created a deified Christ. Uh, but, but here's one of the key ones, and younger, young people here today, I mean, all of us need to hear this, but young people who are being bombarded out there today with all these ideas, you need to hear this and listen to this carefully. No Jew would ever hear of a man being described as divine. It was blasphemy. Uh, that Jews ever came to the belief that Jesus, who is man, is also fully God is an astounding fact. Eight of the New Testament writers were Jews. Nine nine individuals inspired by the Holy Spirit wrote our New Testament, but eight of them were Jews. And they were drilled in the Jewish axiom that there's one God and that no human is divine. I mean, it was unthinkable for a Jew to see a man as God. I mean, talk to Orthodox Jewish people today about Jesus and see what their reaction is. A man is not God. It's blasphemy. It's counterintuitive to them. They have a built-in bias against it, yet all of the New Testament writers teach that Jesus is divine, that He's God's Messiah. I mean, the New Testament's not bashful about the deity of Jesus. All the New Testament writers insist that Jesus be worshipped and that Jesus is the sole source of eternal life. So, something astounding must have happened to these Jewish men who had ingrained in them the idea that no man could ever be God to overcome this indoctrination. Something dramatic must have happened to them. What happened? They met Jesus. That's what happened. Think about the Apostle John, probably around 90 AD. He's an old man. He writes 1 John. What are the very first words he says? He says, we have seen with our eyes, we beheld with our hands, and we handled the Word of life. We saw the eternal Word of life, and we we beheld Him, and we touched Him, and we handled Him with our hands. That's what changed them as they saw Him, and they met Him. They heard what He said. You know, Jesus is spoken of as divine within a few days of His death. Peter in the uh, sermon on Pentecost, what does he say at the culmination of his great Pentecost sermon, 50 days after the death and resurrection of Jesus? This Jesus whom you crucified, God has made him to be both Lord and Christ. James, who's the half-brother of Jesus, probably writes 12 years after the death and resurrection. He calls his half-brother our most glorious Lord Jesus Christ. 50 or 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, Paul A Jew, a Pharisee, says that Jesus is very God of very God. Look, the deity of Jesus is presupposed in over 500 verses in the New Testament. The deity of Christ isn't some peripheral part of Christianity. It's the touchstone of what we believe. The deity of Christ is the master key that really unlocks the doors of all of Christianity and all the doors of life. You all know the name John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace. He wrote another hymn, I've never heard it sung before, I don't even know how the tune goes, but it's called, What Think Ye of Christ? Listen to these words, this is beautiful. What think ye of Christ is the test to try both your state and your scheme. You cannot be right in the rest unless you think rightly of him. That's beautiful. What think ye of Christ is the test. You can't be right in anything else unless you think rightly of Him. Jesus Christ is Christianity. Uh, J. Sidlow Baxter said this years ago, I uh, actually heard him speak at the church I grew up in, Jay Sidlow Baxter, great man of God. He said this years ago, fundamentally our Lord's message was Himself. He didn't come merely to preach a gospel, He Himself is the gospel. He didn't come merely to give bread. He said, I am the bread. He didn't come merely to shed light. He said, I am the light. He didn't come merely to show the door. He said, I am the door. He didn't come merely to name a shepherd. He said, I am the shepherd. He didn't come merely to point the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus' message really was Himself. Jesus Himself is the gospel. And so the deity of Christ is one thing. It's one doctrine that every believer should be able to defend and should be passionate to defend. And we ought to be passionate to proclaim it as well. So what I want to do in this morning's message is take the next few minutes to equip you to do that. And I hope this message is simple because I want it to be simple because I want it to be memorable. I want you to remember it. So if when you leave here this morning, you say, that was really simple, then I accomplished uh, the goal this morning. Now, we've got a helpful acronym we're going to use, and I got it from this book. This is the book I mentioned earlier. I actually got the title of the message from this book as well that I've read. It's called Putting Jesus in His Place, and it's written by uh, Robert Bowman and, and Ed uh, Komazuski. But they have a, a great little acronym in this book that's very helpful that uh, will be memorable. And this is going to be your assignment, basically, is to remember this, and it spells out the word hands, H-A-N-D-S. So this acronym is really handy. I'm sorry, that's a bad joke. But, but these are five indicators of deity. Um, and you see in this that Jesus shares the hands of God. So the H is honor. Jesus shares the honors due to God. The A is attributes, Jesus shares the attributes of God. The N is names, Jesus shares the names of God. The D is deeds, Jesus shares the deeds of God. And the S is Jesus shares the seat of God's throne. He shares God's seat. And so what we want to do is go through this morning and look at this and have all of us memorize this and understand this so we can describe it to somebody else. Basically, your hand, you can start on your thumb. On either hand, Jesus has the honors of God, the attributes of God, the names of God, the deeds of God, and the seed of God. So five simple points that you could tell someone because... Think about this. There's a lot of things that many of us here will never be able to really probably defend. We're not going to be Bible scholars. A lot of us may never be able to defend, you know, premillennialism or pre trib rapture or, you know, why there's suffering in the world or a lot of these kinds of things. But think about this every Christian, if someone were to ask you, do you believe Jesus is God? You would say, yes, he's a God man. And then they say, well, why do you believe that? And you say, well, I don't know. It says it in the Bible somewhere. that would be able to tell somebody, look, this is the, the, the bottom line foundational thing we should all understand. There's a story about George Whitfield years ago. He met a man and he said, uh, sir, tell me, what do you believe? And he said, well, I believe what my church believes. And he says, well, what does your church believe? And he says, well, my church believes the same thing that I believe. And he said, well, what do you and your church believe? And he said, well, we both believe the same thing. And uh, that's the way, sadly, a lot of Christians are. You know, I believe what my church believes, and they believe what I believe, and we both believe the same thing. But in this, this, this basic fundamental truth in all of life that, that, that we've given our lives to and anchored our souls upon, that Jesus is God. We need to understand it, and we need to embrace it, and we need to be passionate uh, about it. There's a, a story I like about a grandmother who was watching her granddaughter draw a picture, and she said, honey, what are you drawing? She so, said, well, I'm uh, drawing a picture of God. And the grandmother said, well, nobody knows what God looks like. And the little girl said, well, they will now. (laughs) And uh, I hope that at the end of this message, we'll know a little more of what God looks like because remember, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is God uh, in human flesh. We see him, uh, we see God. So what I want to do is just go through each one of these letters here in this acronym that spells out hands. And um, I'm going to make this as simple as I can. And again, what I want you to do is get one verse under each one of these statements that you can memorize and understand and tell somebody about who Jesus is. So the first one is honors. Um, Worship is an honor reserved for God, right? End of discussion. Yet Jesus is worshiped. In the New Testament, when people fall down before Jesus and worship him, never once does he tell them, get up. Don't worship me. I'm just a man. When angels worship Him, He never tells them to get up. In fact, in Hebrews 1.6, we read a few moments ago, it says, and again, when God brings His firstborn into the world, and again, firstborn means the heir, He says, let all God's angels worship Him. So, God the Father is telling all the angels to worship Jesus Christ. It's not that angels just happen to worship Jesus, but God commands the angels to worship Him. And, of course, we see this time of year the angels show up at His birth, and they give glory and and laud and honor to Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory and dominion now and forever. Jesus is to receive glory and dominion with God. John 5, 23, great verse to write down. Here's what Jesus said, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Jesus said, you're to honor me just like you honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus is to be honored in an equal way with God the Father. And finally, over in Revelation chapter 5, Jesus receives universal worship. I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that's in them saying, to him who sits on the throne, that's God the Father, and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Jesus the Lamb is worshiped coequally with God the Father who sits on the throne. So, there's a total overlap of worship to the Father and to the Son. So, that's the H. The A in our acronym is attributes. Jesus bears the attributes of God. Someone I read this week says, when it comes to God, it's like father, like son. I like that. Jesus is like the Father. He, he's of the same essence of the Father. In fact, think about this. The Apostle Paul, a Jewish man who grew up um, as a Pharisee, about 50 years after the death of Jesus and His resurrection, he says this in Colossians 2.9, in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. He's God and man in one person. The Apostle Paul stating that again around 50 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is of the same essence and nature of the Father. He shares the Father's attributes. Now, we could list all kinds of attributes that Jesus shares, but here in in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, it says that Jesus is eternal and He's unchanging. This is what God the Father is saying about God the Son in Hebrews 1 and verse 10. Thou, Lord, in the beginning, did lay the foundation of the earth. The heavens are the works of thy hands. In other words, Jesus created everything. They will perish, but thou remainest. They'll become old as a garment. As a mantle, you will roll them up. As a garment, they will be changed. this is staggering. Jesus created everything, it says. And one of these days, this world is going to get old. Now, think about this. Jesus is going to take this universe, this billions of light years across. He's going to roll it up like an old garment and toss it aside and make a new one. I mean, that's a, that's a visual image if you've ever, ever had one. Jesus, had, we have creation in Genesis. Over Revelation 21, we have uncreation. As he takes it all apart and he puts it back together again. But He's eternal. He says, they change, but you are the same. Thy years will not come to an end. Jesus is eternal. He's unchanging. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Boy, as you look around this world and everything changing today, isn't it great to know that there's one who never changes? That old song, Abide With Me, has a great stanza in it that says, Change and decay, and all around I see, O thou who changest not. Abide with me. That's our great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He shares the honors of God. He shares the attributes of God. He's eternal. He's unchanging. Third letter in our acronym, here's the N. Jesus bears and shares the names of God. He has the designations of deity. Jesus says things only God should say. I mean, think about all those I am statements in John's gospel. They they, they echo the I am statements of Yahweh in the Old Testament. Now, two verses you've, you've got to write down, and, and, and just, you can just know the basics in the verse. But in John 8.58, Jesus is there talking to the religious leaders, and they mention Abraham, and Jesus said, I saw Abraham in his day. I said, Well, how do you see Abraham in his day? You're not even 50 years old yet. And Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am. He took the name of Yahweh to himself. And by the way, that wasn't lost on the religious leaders because what did they do? They took up stones to stone him. I mean, they realized that he was saying that he's God. It's interesting, John chapter 8 begins with an attempted stoning and ends with an attempted stoning. Remember, you have the woman caught in adultery at the beginning of the chapter, and here at the end of the chapter, uh, they want to kill Jesus. But he's saying, I am the Lord of eternity. That's a great passage. John 8, 58, Jesus said, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And then the apex of John's gospel, the culmination, the climax of the gospel of John is the testimony of of Thomas. Remember when Jesus appeared to the disciples that first Lord's day, that day he was resurrected, and Thomas wasn't there? And he doubted. He says, unless I see the prince in his hands and his side and his feet, he says, "I, I won't believe. So a week later, on that Sunday, they're in a room, and Jesus just appears in the room. And he shows him his hands and his side. And what does Thomas say? Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Two titles of deity. But it's even better than that. Literally in the Greek, here's what he said, my Lord and the God of me. There's a definite article before the word God. He calls him the God, my Lord and the God of me. I mean, you can't get any clearer than that. And you'll notice here, Jesus accepts his worship, which was blasphemy unless Jesus really is God. So doubting Thomas moves from a question mark to an exclamation mark. And that's what God wants from you and from me when it comes to the deity of Christ. He wants us to be exclamation marks. Someone years ago said, Thomas doubted so we don't have to. I love someone else who said, let those who question the deity of Christ meet Thomas. You question the deity of Christ, go meet Thomas and talk to him. His confession is to be our confession. And then finally, one other verse here, Hebrews 1 8. And this, this is as clear as you can get it. But of the Son, God the Father says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. God the Father says to God the Son, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. We go on and on. I mean, Titus 2.13, we're looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You go to the book of Revelation, He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. Words that are used only of God, of Yahweh in the Old Testament. Well, the D in our acronym is deeds, deeds. Jesus does the deeds of God. My, uh, our son Samuel was home this last week. He's a student at Dallas Seminary, and his wife Ella, and they were home with us this week. And you know, I go around uh, the house, people who are around me during the week in the house hear various parts of my sermons at different times as I'm talking about it and different things. And so Sam was with me, and I was telling him about uh, what I was talking about this week and how excited I was about it and, and uh, about this HANDS acronym. And we talked about the deeds, that Jesus does the deeds of God. And uh, my son, Samuel, he's had the opportunity to study a bit with Daryl Bach, who's a great New Testament scholar, um, a great uh, Jesus scholar especially. And he told me that he had a class with Dr. Bach last semester, and uh, that Daryl Bach in the class just made a simple statement. He said he actually says it fairly often, and he says, Daryl Bach will say, Jesus does God things. And isn't it great how scholars can make things so simple many times? Jesus does God things he does things that only God uh, can do. It's a, a proof of his deity. I mean, he creates. In John 1, it says, "You in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. In verse 3, it says that he creates all things, and nothing was made without him of anything that was made. Without him, nothing was made that was made so obviously, He can't be a created being because nothing was made without Him that's been made. I read uh, this week, somebody uh, I was reading had a little good comment. I liked it. It says, Jesus is older than dirt, literally. And I liked that. I mean, He, he created it all. In John 5, Jesus says that I give life to whom I choose. He's the one who gives life. Remember in Mark chapter 2, they bring them paralytic to Jesus. And Jesus tells the man, Your sins are forgiven. Of course, the Pharisees, the leaders of there say, What are you saying this for? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus says, So that you'll know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, take up your bed and walk. He does the lesser thing to prove the greater thing that he's God. Jesus does things only God can do, he does God things. The final letter in our acronym in this hands is S, the seat. Jesus sits in the seat of God's authority. Hebrews 1 and verse 13 says, the father tells Jesus, sit at my right hand. Jesus is God's right hand man. He's the God man seated there in heaven. One more joke about a little kid. I like these on uh, child dedication Sunday. There's a little boy named Bobby. He was spending the weekend with his grandmother. His grandmother decided to take him to the park on Saturday where it it snowed all night and everything was beautiful. And his grandmother remarked, she said, doesn't it look like an artist painted this scenery? Did you know God painted this just for you, Bobby? And he said, yes, God did it, but he did it left-handed. And this confused his grandmother. And she said, well, what makes you say that God painted all this with his left hand? And he said, well, we learned at Sunday school last week that Jesus sits on God's right hand. So little kids, they take it literally, right? Well, he sits on God's right hand. He's at the right hand of God. But he's seated there on God's throne. In Revelation 3.21, Jesus says this to the churches. To the one who's victorious, I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus sits on the father's throne. This is a great verse, Revelation 22.1. John is seeing into the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. He says, The angel showed me the river, the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. The throne of God and the throne of the Lamb are the same throne. Jesus not only sits on God's throne, but it's His throne too. He sits in the seat of divine authority, of sovereign authority. He's the cosmic Christ. Many of you uh, know the name Irenaeus. He was a luminary in the early church, the greatest probably of the church fathers of the second century. Um, he was, uh, lived in Lyon, France. Um, he's actually born over in Asia Minor but became a bishop in France. Um, he wrote a, a great work called Against Heresies. He was fighting against the heresies of his day. And uh, there's a great statement by Irenaeus. I love this. He was asked once what Jesus Christ brought to the world that had not been brought by the other great religious leaders. And his response was, he brought himself. Isn't that beautiful? What did Jesus bring that no other great religious leader brought? He brought himself. And in himself, he brought God and man in one person God and man in flesh. You know, people today are confused about who Jesus is. It's clear by that survey I I read to you earlier. You know, a lot of people just say he was a, you know, the greatest of, of those created by God, a great prophet. Most of you know C.S. Lewis's great trilemma, it's called. You know, Jesus is either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord of all. I mean, you can't, be a, you can't just be a good man or a prophet because good men and prophets don't go around claiming to be God and deceiving people. So You're either crazy if you say that or, or you're a liar. He's liar, lunatic, legend, or he is Lord of all. But you can't be neutral about Jesus Christ. And so I want every one of us here to understand this HANDS acronym. You can remember that, I think, right? I bet your kids can. I think you probably can too. What I want you to do is memorize that. He has the honors of God, attributes of God, the names of God, the deeds of God, the seed of God, and memorize a verse under each letter. There's nothing more important for you to know and to embrace and to support and to be passionate about than the full deity of Jesus Christ. Go over this as husband and wife. Uh, Do it with your children. Do it with your grandchildren. Uh, Go over this and learn this. So if someone asks you, do you believe Jesus is God? Yes. Why do you believe that? Hold up your hand (laughs) and go through, and you can tell them why you believe Jesus is God. Peter Lewis has a great book called The Glory of Christ. And in that book, he says this, all the evidence indicates that Jesus was not the creation of the church, but the church was the creation of Jesus. He shaped His followers. They didn't shape Him. He towered over all their later preaching and worshiping and theologizing. I love that. We didn't create Jesus. He created us. We don't shape Him. He shapes us. We don't tower over Him in some way. He towers over us look, this this idea of the deity of Christ is not some ivory tower theological issue. Jesus is God, and that ought to grab every one of us this morning and shake us to our core. It ought to grab us. He shapes us. He towers over our lives. He towers over our thinking, and our worshiping, and our giving, and our relating to one another, and our living And as our world today is trying to dethrone Jesus, we need to make sure that we enthrone Jesus in our hearts, that we give Him His rightful place, that we put Jesus in His place. That's the only proper response. It's a book I read some time back by Philip Yancey. He tells a story in there about Gandhi. He says, Gandhi was a great admirer of Jesus. He often quoted from the Sermon on the Mount and sought to live by the teachings of Jesus, but he remained a Hindu. And one of the things he loved was the Sermon on the Mount. Gandhi used to say it went straight to his heart. In fact, he read the Bible when he was in England before he even read the writings of, of the Hindu writings. But he was killed in 1948, Yancey says. Among his sparse worldly possessions were about a dozen books, including the life and teachings of Jesus Christ, and also a copy of the Gospel of John. On the wall by his bed was even a picture of Jesus with these words, He is our peace. I think, well, maybe Gandhi was a, a believer in Jesus after all. Well, near the end of his life, though, Gandhi summarized his position on Jesus when he said this, I cannot concede to Christ a solitary throne. In other words, there's a lot of gods. You know, they're all gods. Jesus is a god too, maybe. But he could not concede to Jesus a solitary throne. Look, Jesus deserves and demands a solitary throne in our lives. And so the question for every one of us this morning in light of this is, have you surrendered that solitary throne to Jesus Christ? Have you put Jesus in his place on the throne of your life? Have you put him over somewhere and put yourself seated on the throne to rule over your life? Look, there's no better way to begin the Christmas season than to surrender the solitary throne of your life to the one who shares the hands of God the H-A-N-D-S. One final story here, and we'll close. uh, I read this story again this week, and it ministered to me. I'll share it with you, and we'll close with this. This is a story told by Nelson Price in his book, The Emmanuel Factor. He says, at the time of her coronation as Queen of England, Victoria was also Empress of India. The Indian province of Punjab became part of her empire. A youthful prince ruled in Punjab at the time. His love for Queen Victoria resulted in him sending her a special gift. It was one of the largest, rarest, and most valuable diamonds in the world, uh, the Kohinoor diamond. Because of its value, the queen had the cherished gift placed in the Tower of London with the other crown jewels. Those who saw it marveled over it. Years later, the prince, now an adult, visited England and called on the queen, After exchanging the appropriate greetings, he said, Your Majesty, may I see the Kohanor diamond. The request caused a bit of uneasiness. Some speculated that he wanted to request that it be returned. Immediately, the queen ordered her guards to retrieve the diamond with all caution. Armed, the guards brought the diamond to Buckingham Palace and presented it to the queen. All present observed closely to see what would happen next. With great care, the queen presented the diamond to the Prince of Punjab. With a respectful oriental bow, he accepted it. Slowly he walked to the window, holding the diamond he treasured. There he admiringly looked at it in the natural light. Returning to address the queen, he knelt at her feet with the sparkling stone still in his hands. With depth of emotion, he said this, when I was a child, I gave you this diamond. I was too young to know much of what I was doing. As he paused, everybody thought he was about to ask for the diamond to be returned. But he continued, but now that I'm a man and knowing fully what I am doing, I want to give it to you again in the fullness of my strength and with all my heart and affection and gratitude. That's what every one of us here should do this morning. A lot of you may have given your heart to the Lord when you were a child and you gave your heart to him the best that you knew how. But let me say this today, all of us need to do it again in the fullness of our strength, with all of our heart, with all of our affection, with all of our gratitude. We need to do it again. We need to give all we are and everything we have uh, to the one who is worthy. We need to put Jesus um, in his place. Well, Let's pray together. If you're here this morning and you don't know this Jesus we're talking about, I pray that you've already accepted him you've been so excited to hear about Him that you've fallen at His feet this morning and you've taken Him to be your Savior from sin. But if you've never done that, well, that's what you need to do more than anything else in your life. You need to see who Jesus is. He's a God-man. He's God in human flesh. He lived a sinless life. He paid your sin debt in full on the cross and rose from the dead. If you'll trust in Him and receive in Him, He'll forgive all your sins and He'll give you the gift of eternal life. All you have to do this morning is simply take it and receive it from Him. Father, for those of us who know You, as we got into this confused world that's so confused about everything, even who Jesus is, make us exclamation marks for You. Father, equip us. Help us to be passionate about the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to stand firm in the knowledge of who He is. Father, I pray for myself and every one of us here that we would give to Jesus Christ the solitary throne of our hearts and of our lives. With all of our strength, with all of our gratitude, give our heart and our life to Him day after day, again and again, the only one who is worthy. Oh, Father, we thank You for Jesus. May His name be praised forever. Amen.
4: Would you stand let's sing together.
0: Suffered and crucified Forgiveness is in you Descended into darkness I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three
5: that we all do believe in Jesus today, that you all put your faith and trust in Him. And again, for those of us who know Him, what what better way to begin the Christmas season than to give it to Him again than to give Him the solitary throne of our heart and of our life. Well, thank you for being here with us today. We appreciate your presence with us more than you'll ever know. Um, I'll be down front after the service. Our elders who are present will be down front as well. Uh, We'd love the opportunity to get acquainted. Uh, Maybe pray with you about some need or some burden that you have today. Um, Also, if you're uh, visiting with us, go out these doors down a ways on the right. There's a welcome center, and there's some uh, friendly folks there who'd love to, uh, to meet you and give you some more information about our church. Well, let's bow our heads now for the benediction as we leave here with the Lord's blessing upon us. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. All God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you.